to Beyond Fatima. I'm your host, Katie Moran. And before I begin my show, I always ask everyone, please, to pray with me one Hail Mary. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, Holy Spirit, amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death, amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Christ is born, glorify him. That's what the uh, Eastern Catholics greet each other during the Christmas season. Even though this is January the 9th, we still consider ourselves in the Christmas season, especially in the Eastern tradition. I want to wish everyone a very blessed and happy new year, prosperous, spiritually, of course. And the format of the show Beyond Fatima is topics from the apparitions of Our Lady of Fatima in 1917 and the angel apparitions in 1916. The topic is then explained more in the light of the church's teachings and the private revelations of the saint. Now, we're going to continue this year discussing events in the life of Venerable Sister Lucia and her important role in being the herald of devotion and consecration to the Immaculate Heart of Mary and the Fatima message. We're going to take a very slight detour from talking about quotes on Sister Lucia on various aspects of our spirituality and our faith from my book, um, Mary's Gentle Path, which is a daily meditation book. And it would be a nice one to get at the beginning of the year, to spend the year, spend the year with the Fatima message and Venerable Sister Lucia, who knew it, lived it, and expressed it so perfectly during her lifetime, her long lifetime. And the book is available at shopfatima.com. But today, Barb Ernster's joining me again. She's uh, the national coordinator for Our Lady's Blue Army. And we're going to talk about, briefly, I want to just address people's New Year's resolutions and what do they mean. And maybe if you've made New Year's resolutions, you should look at that in terms of eternity. How is this going to benefit me in all eternity in heaven? And maybe start making more spiritual New Year's resolutions, ones that will affect and impact your soul and your walk to eternity in heaven, being where we're meant to be, our heavenly home. And But basically, we're going to talk about the visions Venerable Sister Lucia had after Fatima, after she finished in 1916. So before we get started that, I want to welcome Barb to the show. And do you have any comments to say on New Year's resolutions? <laughs> I think a spiritual resolution would be a good one. I keep resolving I'm going to get up at 5 a.m. and spend an hour in prayer. And for this year, 2024, I've resolved to actually do that every morning. <laughs> wow. Give you know up my uh, my mornings to the Lord. Yeah. I, I don't know if it was St. Vincent de Paul or St. Francis de Sales wrote that at the beginning of every new year, if you made a resolution to work on one fault and one spiritual, great, spiritual virtue you want, he said you would be a saint in a very short time just doing one a year. So that's another thing to think about. How many years have we wasted with resolutions that really don't mean anything and they didn't last very long? I think uh, Sister Lucia would agree with us if she was alive. So one of the first ones we're going to start with today, these are the apparitions after, and this one actually took place in 1979, December 31st. And I like that because it really showed what she was thinking of at that time. She was concerned with the struggles with the church. Now, many of the quotes we're going to be taken are taken from Mary's 
or Pathways Under the Gaze of Mary, which is also available at shopfatima.com. So this particular one we're going to read, and Barbara and I will talk about, uh, is she was concerned about the struggles the church was going through. She quietly made this offering of herself and prayed to God. Did he not promise her the assistance of the Holy Spirit and the source of grace, strength, and wisdom that enlightens the mind and guides along the paths of truth, justice, and love? That's what she was thinking. While quietly praying that she felt gently a hand on her left shoulder, looking up she saw Our Lady who answered her prayer by telling her, quote, God has heard your prayer and sent me to tell you that it's necessary to intensify your prayer and your work for the union of the church, of the bishops with the Holy Father, and of the priests with the bishops to lead the people of God on the path of truth, faith, hope, and love united in Christ our Savior, end of quote. Now, over 40 years later, more than that, our struggle now and the attacks against the church have increased in intensity. You just have to sit and look at what's been going on. And we need to realize that for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but with principalities, with the powers and with the rulers of this present darkness, with the evil spirits in heaven. And that's a quote from the St. Paul's letter to the Ephesians. One of the things, Barb, I think would be a good idea is... We must intensify our prayers and goals. That would be an excellent New Year's resolution, like the one you're going to do. We've got to make a choice, in my opinion. We can't straddle that fence anymore, with one foot living for God and the other foot living in the world. Ukrainians have a special word for that called pedo-medo, fence walker. You flip on either oh. side, which doesn't <clears throat> fix the benefit of what you're doing. Mm-hmm. So we don't want to be pedo-medos. Well, I find interesting how she said, intensify your prayer and work for the union of the church, of the bishops with the Holy Father and the priests with their bishops to lead the people of God on the paths of truth, faith, hope, and love, united in Christ our Savior. This is such a profound, heavenly statement. It's a direction for all of us. We see it all over the world, the disunity in the church, and the we're so fragile right now and how people are so quick to choose Sides. Well, I'm I'm a you're a radical rad trad. I love you know the rhetoric that's going around the church too, calling some radical traditionalists. And over here we got the other side that's pushing to destroy the dogmas of the church, the teach the very teaching. So we got this constant battle going on, and people quickly choose sides. But there's this strong sense of those in the middle who have consecrated themselves to the Immaculate Heart, who want what's good for the church. They're not going to pick sides. They're going to pray. We all know the need to pray for this unity so that this church does not fall apart. And of course, 1979, what was what was happening then? You know, that was, we hear about the seminaries at the time and what was going on. And then, of course, what happened after that, and even during that time, was all this abuse that took place. And, you know, it all unfolded in the 90s and 2000s, and it just almost destroyed us. And so this is a time when she was being asked to intensify her prayer and that the bishops with their pope would lead us on the path of truth, faith, hope, and love. I mean, John Paul II warned about this flight from the transcendent creator and from objective truth. He warned about this in the 1990s. He saw what was going on, and he said that's going to cause a delay in the springtime if we don't nip this in the bud. There was this um, flight from objective truth and natural law embracing relativism. He said that would become the next 
spiritual crisis of the church. Well, here we are in 2024, and that's exactly what's going on. We can't even figure out the truth of our biological gender anymore. We don't, we, we're not embracing truth. We're embracing whatever I feel like is right. There's no moral authority anymore. The church itself is struggling with these issues and trying to welcome people in with all of their brokenness, but at the same time trying to uphold the teachings of Christ and of God. And so it should be a gr- something we should all be doing right now is doing the same thing, intensifying our prayer life for the union of the church. Unity, unity, unity is always a theme that comes through in the Fatima messages. And Katie, I personally believe the triumph of the Immaculate Heart has something to do with the unity of all of God's children under one holy apostolic Catholic church. And I'm not saying Catholic in terms of Roman Catholic, but the unity of repairing these schisms that have happened over the 2,000 years of the church history, you know, that we can, as one body of Christ, be speaking and, and, and becoming the one body of Christ that we're supposed to be the church on earth. I really feel that would be a true triumph of the Immaculate Heart. Well, you know, she talks about it as an error of peace. And you can't have peace if there's division. Right. You know, and with, within the church, like, like what's going on right now. I mean, the church has fractured and splintered. If you read about the history of it, the church was one church until the Great Schism in the 10th, 11th century, the East and the West. And so that mm-hmm. sort of set like that until the Protestants revolt. And I don't call it a reformation, I call it a revolt. Because they revolted against the Holy Mother of the Church. They didn't reform anything. And I have read where they have splintered into as much as 20,000 individual sects. And they keep and splintering. Yeah. And they keep splintering. And they keep splintering. Because there's no unification. And obedience is the primary thing. Now, one of the big things that was going on in the 80s and early 90s was um, the people wanting the old Latin map, you know, and clamoring mm-hmm. for it. And I knew people that literally would go to it, or if they'd find a place where, it was, where the mass was offered and go to it and not go to their own church. And I told them, I said, I realize there's abuses in the Novus Order, but right now, you don't have permission to to have the old Latin Mass. Now, this was in the 80s. And what I told mm-hmm. them was, God, our Lord values obedience above everything else. And yet some of these did that. So when permission was granted, especially in the Roman diocese I reside in, was granted, and you had a chapel, Our Lady of the Rosary, and you could have the old Latin Mass, and, you know, you had the right priest there doing it for you, Society of St. Peter, some of them, because they were in disobedience, decided they didn't like the way that was. So they went to the fractured St. Pius X, and when they weren't happy with that, they went to the fractured St. Pius V Society. So even in mm-hmm. our, what we call radical conservatives, when there's not obedience, then you no longer have guidance, and you just, you're constantly right. looking, mm-hmm. looking. And believe it or not, we have, all, we have the traditional Latin Mass, which we're allowed to have, the Novus Order, and then we have a church that's the St. Pius X that is technically separated, and then one that's St. Pius V that is technically La Fabre, separated. So you see, you're mm-hmm. seeing this lack of unity on both sides. You know, right. you're the radical liberals or you're the radical tr- traditionalists. And that's, this is what's so sad. 
And Lucia, during this time, this this event on December 31st, 1979, said she was dealing with a lot of darkness in her soul. And she was seeing the church as a fragile boat being tossed upon the waves of the world's revolt. Now, this is similar to St. John Bosco's dream, where he saw the church being attacked and tossed about on the waves of the sea, and then the Pope leading it through the two pillars of the Mary, the Blessed Mother, and the Eucharist, and brought it into calmer waters. So we're still trying to navigate this church into calmer waters, but we see more and more among Catholic faithful who are neither, you know, well, they can be strongly left or right, but the the ones that are strongly in the middle who are anchoring themselves between the Blessed Mother, the Rosary, you know, devotion to her, consecration to her Immaculate Heart, Fatima Message, all these things that Mary is trying to lead us to, and the Eucharist. And that's where they're finding the calmer waters. That's where they're able to find rest and peace and not be worried about all the big things going on at the top, but that God is taking care of it all. We have to realize God and our Blessed Mother, Jesus, they're working in our world. They're in, you know, the Blessed Mother's interceding. She's trying to guide her children. Anchor yourselves. Anchor yourselves between the, with the Eucharist and the Rosary. You'll find peace there. And so Lucia you know, given this directive to to pray more and more for the church. And then she makes this offering, I would rather die than fail to serve and love you each day at every moment. You know, take my life, Lord. Turn me into you so that the Father takes pleasure in seeing you in me. So, you know, this was a, what I love about this message is that she's feeling this great darkness and bitterness. She described it as bitterness. And then the Blessed Mother's, she felt her, hand on her left shoulder. That's how the Blessed Mother always came to her. After the Fatima apparition, she would feel her gentle hand on her left shoulder, and she would look up, and there was the Mother of God. And she would give her these short little directives. They weren't, you know, she didn't sit down and counsel her, but, you know, this wonderful message of hope and peace, and always with kind of a, you know, I'm here to guide and comfort you and be at peace because God's in control. So after our Blessed Mother had left, Lucia reports that she felt so happy after this. She was inundated in the peace and the light and the grace. And she also felt the difficulty of such a mission to be praying for the church. We always feel so overwhelmed with all that's going on and that we're not doing enough. But she said only God can move the heart, the hardness of human hearts. They're stones like the children of Abraham, but she trusted in God and God, God's will. And she said, nothing's impossible for him. So we are just supposed to do our part in this big, huge, vast spiritual battle. And Mary's calling us to do our little part. She and our Lord will take care of the big parts. We just have to do our part. Now, one of the things that's interesting is people are saying, well, look, our lady came and touched her shoulder and she saw her. That definitely is not going to happen to us. But what will happen, Barb, is you will still feel that grace, that peace, that love. Yes. You don't have to see her to feel it. It'll come to you. And it's happened with the saints the same way. They talk about it. I mean, with every intense struggle that you succeed in, our Lord rewards you with it, with enlightenment, with a sense of peace and well-being. And it's temporary. It did not stay with Sister Lucy our whole life. Because if it did, then we'd want to stay here on earth. What did Our Lady, I mean, we've said this in the past. Our Lady said to St. Bernadette, I cannot promise to make you happy in this world, but in the next. 
And that's the same with all of us. And sometimes this assurance, we need it because we are, that water is going all around us. We are in that boat that feels like it's going to go over and we need the assurance of this. And with your New Year's resolutions, we'll throw back to those again. Maybe you can't get up early and do an hour of prayer, but can you do five or 10 minutes? And maybe once or twice a week, make a stop in a church and make a visit with the Blessed Sacrament. Your prayer life well, and I will, will, grow, will, will grow, and your yeah. wanting to stay in the church will grow. But you, sometimes you've got to start small. Well, I will say, sometimes I feel like my own family and my own life is tossed about on the waves, and there's bitterness, and there's darkness, and you can't see anything, yeah. and there's sadness, and you just see problems, problems, problems everywhere. And I'll go to a Mass, I'll just bring it to the Lord, drop it at the foot of the cross, offer up it all to Him. By the time I come out of Mass or out of a holy hour, I feel at peace. This is not for me. God is directing. He's in control. He's working in my family. He's taking care of my daughter or my son or whatever problem is going on. I just need to show up. And I do get that same peace. I feel immersed in God. I do feel the clarity and I have strength. Mary doesn't have to appear to me. I have Jesus in the Holy Eucharist. And when we're drawing from him, he he has an endless amount of grace to give to us. And he wants to help us through these times. We have to let go and constantly show our trust in him. Jesus, I trust in you. Jesus, I trust in you. You are handling it. I don't have to walk out of here and fix everything. I just have to bring it to you. I have to understand you are working. You're fixing. God is working in our world. He's fixing. We have no idea what he's doing. We just have to show up and be faithful. That was Mother Teresa's. I'm not responsible for the results. I just need to be faithful. And that's what we're called to be faithful. And this is a hard time to remain faithful, but to keep persevering. The saints didn't become saints because they were so perfect every day. They struggled with these very same things. What made them different is with all their weakness and their faults, they kept getting up and going forward and just kept trying. We're not going to be judged by God, God for our results. We're not going to be judged by, by um, you know, how, how well we overcame our weaknesses because we can't reach that perfection. Only God can reach it through us, in us. But how well did we keep going and keep picking up that cross every day and following Christ? One of the things we have in our Eastern tradition, and I'm sure you've heard of it, it's called the Jesus Prayer. And what you do, sometimes when you feel so overwhelmed, it's a prayer you do when you breathe. As you breathe in, you say, Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, as you breathe out, have mercy on me, a sinner. It's interesting. That very much ties in with divine mercy. Jesus Mm -hmm. Christ, Son of the living God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And many times during the day when I feel this, all this, intenseness, this darkness, this, like you said, family problems. You sit and do that two or three times or four times, and you can feel a calmness coming over you. I mean, God knows, you know, the Eastern fathers, the fathers of the early church from the second and third century are the ones who taught this, the hermits and the monks. It's like you're breathing Jesus in and breathing out, breathing him in and breathing him out so that you can center yourself back to a more calmer spirit. So that's, I don't know how many people have heard of that or know to do that. Have you ever done the Jesus Prayer, Barb? I've heard of something similar. I know for, what was it, back in the 90s, there was this Jesus Prayer going around. Now there's the Surrender Prayer. It's all the same thing, surrendering, yeah. surrendering, letting your spirit take in the Holy Spirit. And, 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 and just it's a, it's a form of meditation in a way and contemplation where you're, you know, 
I, what do they call it now? Catholic mindfulness <laughs> where you're, you're meditating and you're breathing in and you're doing similar things that the secular world will recommend. If you need to calm down, if you're having a panic attack, stop and breathe, stop and breathe, but you're breathing in the spirit of God and letting yeah. him take over your soul. It's more of a directive toward God, not toward you have to fix it internally by breathing. It's letting God in to, to fix it. And I think that's the important thing. Again, if, you know, it's still early in the new year. If you have not made a spiritual resolution, I mean, maybe make it that you're going to wake up a little bit earlier and spend quiet time with our Lord and Our Lady prayer life. Maybe it's going to make an effort to get to church for a few minutes to make a visit to the Blessed Sacrament or pop into a daily mass that you can do. And then maybe pick one of your 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 major vices that you constantly are sinning and and this is what you're going to work on. You're going to work on it not to do that anymore. And of course, that comes with prayer. So you need to pray and you need to uh, start asking your angel to help you with this stuff. But you should be preparing your New Year's resolution should be preparing you for eternity because you never know when you're going to be called. You know, I mean, maybe this is your last chance at a new year to make these changes to, to move closer to God. Now, Barb, next we can talk about uh, what other visits did Sister Lucia have from Our Lady after 1917? This, to me, the one we were just talking about was a major one in 1979. And the fact that it was on the last day of the year. Yeah, and I want to point out that there was a, another one she recorded. This was found in her private diary after she died by the Sisters of Coimbra. A lot of her diary has been incorporated into the biography they wrote, A Pathway Under the Gaze of Mary. And they'll cite the source. Her diary was called My Pathway. And so she also talked about a visit that happened just three months later on March 15, 1980. So here we have Lucia. She's telling, saying about how she was inundated after this December 31st vision with this feeling of grace and happiness and, you know, feeling the peace and the light. Well, three months later, she's back in her, her cell at the convent and she's longing for heaven. She's feeling this great darkness and, again, this emptiness of her prayer, feeling as if she was doing nothing on earth. So how quickly the Lord's consolations can leave us and you're back in the darkness. And I tell you, the closer you get to God and, and you know, here she's growing, she's grown in great holiness and she's having these up and down spikes, you know, and she's back in the darkness. And she wrote, it hovered over me one very dark night, things that God allows, the dense shadows that only God knows and can dissipate. So I trusted him and he gave me happiness. When I least expected it, the mother of God entered my cell, a brief visit, even though it was short, I would have liked it to be longer. Our lady just said to her, God is your comfort and I am here to help you. It is to serve him that you are still here. And so I, I, you know, that did bring her comfort, but she's reminding her that her sense of purpose, her time on the earth was to serve him and her prayers and penances matter even when they feel empty, that they are doing good. We may feel they're doing no good. And yet God is using even that darkness in our life as a suffering, a sacrifice. And the fact that we keep going, he uses that. We have no idea what graces were obtained for someone, maybe a most hardened sinner, 
we don't know what graces are obtained for someone. And I sometimes think about, you know, you hear about you know, miraculous conversion. Somebody just happened to turn on a radio show and they're listening and it converted them. And they're back in the church. And I always think, gosh, Lord, can I have that miracle in, in somebody I'm praying for? <laughs> but I think you have no idea if that grace wasn't obtained by something you offered up one day in the darkness. And the prayers that you're looking to be answered, the miracles you're seeking, someone else might be obtaining that grace for that. And you don't know when it's going to happen. It's all in God's timing. So I also like to remind people, you know, Lucia was offering up this darkness, this suffering. She didn't know what to do with it. She couldn't get rid of it, but she offered it up. So we have to remember to offer our feelings and emotions to God because they weigh on us and cause us to suffer. So feelings of sadness and anger, emptiness, lack of purpose. What am I doing here? I mean, this comes to me often. And when you're in that darkness, it's really hard to, I mean, I'll be in a, and like, why is this happening? Why is this happening? And I should be feeling better than this. And then, um, you know, you can offer it up and oftentimes it will dissipate. So God can bring that same peace and comfort to us without the Blessed Mother putting her hand on our shoulder and letting us see her. He can bring us that same peace and comfort and things can turn around very quickly. So just remember just your emotions, your struggles, those are sufferings that you can offer to the Lord. You know, what's interesting, I, when you were saying this, I'm thinking to myself, wow, how many times when I'm given these precious gifts, and they are precious gifts because we'll know that when we die and go to heaven, precious gifts of suffering, pain, and whatever it is, emptiness, lack of purpose, how many of those have I wasted when I could have saved souls with it? You know, because right. sometimes you let this come to you, and this is where, this is where the morning offering is so important. Because when you make it in the morning, then all throughout the day, everything you do, you offer back to God, whether you are consciously doing it or unconsciously not realizing that you should be doing it. And I think that is one of the greatest blessings of the morning offering, because now you're not wasting things. Because even if you're not aware of it enough to offer it up, you've made it already once, and so now God is accepting it throughout the day. So if you don't make the morning offering, you don't need a prescribed prayer. It's nice to do the one that we know for the Fatima. But just to say, oh, dear lady, I give everything to you this day through through the Sacred Heart of Jesus, the Immaculate Heart of Mary. So your day is not a wasted day. So you don't spend the day regretting that you didn't do enough than when you could have done more. And and there's many different prayers for the morning offering. The one I like is offering to the Sacred Heart of Jesus, to the Immaculate Heart, all my prayers, works, joys, and sufferings. These are things you're going to experience throughout the day. And you're offering them in union with the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass and bringing it to the Father and praying for special intentions. And that's where I always pray for the Church, the Pope, the bishops, all of those who are struggling. I always particularly pray for any priests or bishops or cardinals who are struggling with what seem to be insurmountable problems or who are struggling with despair, or have fallen away and and need to find their way back. I mean, this is the church. The church needs the strong leaders, too. We have to remember to pray for our shepherds. I would not want to be in leadership in the church right now. It's a huge burden on them. And we, we may be frustrated with, you know, we don't hear enough from them, we don't do, but we don't know what their struggles are. And they're human, too. They're, it's, they say it's lonely at the top. It's lonely at the top. So, 
pray for them. Pray for them that they have the strength and the wisdom to guide the church. They are ordained. They have the the gift of the Holy Spirit guiding the church, the magisterium. So pray for that unity and pray for those who are particularly suffering. And that's what I like to um I like to remember that yes, I I prayed for the church this morning. Otherwise, my day gets away from me and I don't remember to pray for anything. So I have to yep. make that morning offering. And I do it. And I, you kiss your brown scapula when you do it. But what I think is real interesting about these 1979, 1980, these two apparitions, and she talks about her her intensity, her the suffering she was enduring, the spiritual suffering, because yeah. in 1984 of October, she had another visit. And she doesn't say what happened. But I'm wondering if her intensified prayer life is what brought about the consecration in March yes. of 1984. Yes, because she prayed so ardently, you know, five years earlier, she was asked to pray for this mm-hmm. unity. And then, and then John Paul II gets shot um, and he was supposed to die. He turns his attention to Fatima. He realizes it was the Blessed Mother who saved him. Lucia says later that was the first day of the triumph of the Immaculate Heart because she interceded in his life. He goes on to to understand what is this consecration I'm supposed to make of Russia, and he goes and meets with Sister Lucia, and she's, you know, all of this stuff just starts coming together. He makes the consecration on March 25th, and I was reading about this, Katie, and, you know, Lucia said heaven accepted it because Pope John Paul II did everything in his power to get this done. He did everything in his power. Now, we're all, we're human beings on this earth working in an, a fallen world where nothing is perfect here, but he did everything in his power to get this done, and that's why it was accepted. And people who don't accept that the consecration of Russia was done because he didn't say Russia. He By then, Russia had spread its errors throughout the whole world, so he made a consecration of the whole world and then paused and specifically in his, internally mentioned Russia. I, it, just, it, it just boggles my mind. God is working in our world. You know, communism fell, the Berlin Wall fell. There's openness to religion now in many, many areas. We know that there's still problems with the spread of atheism and around the world. So we're still working in this, but she has a visit on October 1984 with the Blessed Mother. Of course, she was being asked by many in the church, was the consecration done according to Our Lady's request? And I know that her, the papal, uh, the Pope sent Father Louis Condor to meet with her and a papal legate to ask her, was this done correctly? Did we accomplish this? And she said, yes, it has been accomplished. And heaven has accepted it. And I know that Father Louis Condor said, what signs will we have? And she said, look to the east. And Mm -hmm. so October 1984, she has this visit by the Blessed Mother. It may be that that's when that confirmation from heaven that the consecration was done. So I I just think it's a mention that she recorded it in her diary that she'd had this visit, but she doesn't say what it was about. So... Yeah. And Lucia was the got, one who spoke to heaven. <laughs> yeah, oh, that's right. And and you need to tell people, consecration didn't happen. You have to say, yes, it did. We have, we got this confirmation that you talked about. And I think the word just yeah. needs to get out because the devil doesn't want people knowing it. Now, we have yeah. two other significant visits. 
And uh, the first one is, is on, it's from Pathways under the gaze of Mary. And it was on June 15, 1921. Because Our Lady told her, I will come a seventh time. And people were wondering when that was. So I'll let you talk about that one, Barb. Well, here again, Lucia is, what, 13 years old by then? Yeah. Four, four years later, she might be, she's 13, I believe. The, the bishop himself, the bishop of Liaria, the diocese of Liaria, which was the, where the Fatima <laughs> village is located, he comes up with a plan to send Lucia away so the family can get peace. And she doesn't have to be bothered by all these people coming to visit her and asking her all these questions. I mean, she was so young. She should not have had to face this kind of interrogation forever and ever and ever. And the family was, their peace was totally destroyed because they they had to keep seeking her out. And you can't expect a young girl to just keep meeting with all these people. So he comes up with a plan for Lucia to go away and, and join, um, go to the school in Porto. It was at that time, it was a, it was originally a convent, the Sisters of St. Dorothy, but because of the government anti-religious, they were not allowed to call themselves a convent. They were, they were supposed to be a school. And so Lucia was going to be sent there and remain anonymous. So she was really struggling. And again, she's in this darkness. She doesn't know if this is what she's supposed to do. She's going to be asked to leave her family, her mother. So she runs to the COVID diarrhea where the apparitions occurred at the site of the apparitions and she visited in her mind all the places that the Blessed Mother had appeared, the Angel of Peace. She just kept going over and over because she felt such darkness that this was not, was she supposed to do this? And Our Lady, again, places her hand on her shoulder and she looks up and she says to her, I am here for the seventh time. Go follow the path which the bishop wants you to take. This is the will of God. And so she brings this comfort in this direction to this very young girl, young teenager. And then Lucia repeated her yes that she had made on May 13, 1917. Yes, I am willing to offer everything that God wills for me, all the sufferings and the sorrows and the pathway that he has for me. So she repeated her yes, and then she went forward in peace. And she always said later in life, she goes, I am a daughter of the church. She found her life was being directed by the bishops, by the God put providentially in her life good spiritual directors, priests that would guide her, the bishops, um, many who visited her from the Vatican. You know, she was also targeted by people who had nefarious aspirations. They wanted her to say something they wanted her to say, and then they went off and spread lies about her. So she suffered under both, but she saw herself as a daughter of the church, and she became almost protected by the church, always seeking God's will through those who were put in her path to spiritually advise her. And that was one of the first times on that June 15th day that she trusted the mother of God had told her, I will never forsake you. My immaculate heart will be your refuge and the way that it will lead you to God. And she always provided what she needed through those that were placed in her path. You know, what's interesting about that, Barb, is she was 13 years old, going on 14. How many people, how many children today at that age are that spiritually uh, advanced enough to know to do yeah. this? This is what amazing. We're not talking about somebody in their 20s, 30s, and 40s. We're talking about, in our mind's eyes today, somebody just starting to be a teenager. You know, yeah, she's going through that struggle, and she just goes back. 
she goes back to the to the kova for advice. Yeah. Or maybe I, I love I just, Father. I don't know if you remember Father Benedict Groeschel. He was a one of the founders yeah. of the um, Franciscan Friars of the Renewal. In our documentary, yeah. we quote him, and he's he's like talking about Lucia, and he says, "God bless Lucia, that little girl, what she went through." I mean, I love Lucia. I just you feel for her, and that she is her pathway is so much like the rest of us. We are in darkness, then we experience God's grace. We're seeking His will. She had to cry out to God, "Where where do you want me to go?" And you know, she she was always seeking His will. She at such a young age. I just look at her and I just want to hug her. And I, <laughs> I said, when I, if I, if and when I ever get to heaven, I'm hoping Lucia's there to greet. Um, I'll get to see her face to face. Face to face, talk to her, thank her for all she did. And then yeah. we will see all, what all her sufferings brought about. You know, everything she did, everything she offered, I mean, continually. And really, she lived the life that most of us live. She didn't live yes. in a supernatural plane 24-7. You know, she wasn't even in a supernatural plane, like, a lot. It was, the yeah. val- the valleys were deep and long, and then she would go to the mountain, and then she'd go down into the valleys again. And she lived the life that all of us live, even though she was a cloistered Carmelite nun. We don't have to be cloistered to experience everything she's done. And when you read the book, Pathways Under the Gaze of Mary, which is available at shopfatima.com, you really get an insight into her. The sisters did a wonderful job, and I know you helped with the English translation. And, of course, if you want to learn more about her writings, you know, Mary's Gentle Path. Pick that one up also for daily meditation. Yeah, but you help. Yeah, Lucia really teaches. Lucia really teaches us this pathway of following God's will and picking up your cross every day. That's really the Fatima message. There's nothing new in the Fatima message. It was for a particular time in history, the prophecies and and what was going to unfold in the 20th century, and we're still going through it. But it's the call to pick up your cross every day and to follow God's will, to seek His will. We we will stand before God. And he will ask us, you know, did you seek truth? Mm-hmm. Did you seek my will? Did you, we're not going to say, oh, look at the wonderful things you did and, you know, your job. And <laughs> it's going to be, how did you follow me every day? How did you handle the crosses I sent you? How did you, you know, did you, were you willing to follow me all the way to the cross? I mean, some people are being called to martyrdom. Were you willing to follow me all the way there? And um, that's what Christ wants of us. And Lucia teaches us, her life shows us what that looks like. Yeah, now her last visit that we know of is on June, January 3rd, 1944. The importance of this one is the Bishop of Lyra was wanting her to write down the third secret because she was sick and nearly died, and they were afraid the message, the third secret would go with her. But she had trouble writing it, as I'm aware. So I'm going to let you talk about that. Plus, we'll get a little insight into that third secret of what she writes in that in the book. Yeah. This is a really interesting, I, I didn't even know this until I was editing her book. It was not released to the public without until it came out in this biography. And again, it was found in her diary. The sisters found this and they wrote about this. <clears throat> this again was a time of great darkness. Lucia had been asked to write the third secret almost a year earlier by the bishop. She kept writing back to him and saying, I, I can't, I just don't know why I can't do this. I start to write it and I can't, but yet I'm able to write down other things. 
So she's struggling because she had not been given direction from heaven that it was okay to reveal this. She was being asked by the bishop to write it down because of the fear that she was going to die. And so she was struggling. And by December of 1943, she was in a really, really dark place again, spiritual darkness. Nothing's coming to her. She, uh, so on the night of January 3rd, 1944, she's kneeling by her bedside. She's trying to write it down. And <clears throat> she's asking God to make known his will to her because she was, she would get insights from the Lord, kind of giving her direction. It's okay to move forward, but she was not hearing anything. Once again, she feels blessed mother's hand touching her on the shoulder and she looks up and she sees Mary. Mary says to her, do not be afraid. God wanted to prove your obedience, faith, and humility. Be at peace and write what they order you, but not what has been given you to understand its meaning. After writing it, place it in an envelope, close and seal it, and write on the outside that this can be opened in 1960 by the Cardinal Patriarch of Lisbon or by the Bishop of Liera. Now here's something interesting. People say, why wasn't that third secret released in 1960 and told to the whole world. And why didn't the popes do this? Why didn't they release it? Well, Mary didn't say, have the pope open it and read it to the whole world. She said it can be opened in 1960, not even by the pope, but by the Cardinal Patriarch of Lisbon or the Bishop of Liera. Those were the ones who were the authorities over the message of Fatima. The bishop, the local bishop, is the authority over approving an apparition. In 1960, Lucia later explained, was... She thought by that would be when it would be more understood what was happening. The, the secret would be understood. So, Katie, I don't know if you want me to go forward and um, I'll talk about the secret, what's in it. But after this happened, Lucia said she felt my spirit flooded by a mystery of light that is God. And in him, I saw and heard the tip of the spear as a flame unlatches and touches the axis of the earth. It shudders. Mountains, cities, towns, and villages with their inhabitants are buried. The sea, the rivers, and the clouds emerge from their limits, overflowing and bringing with them in a whirlwind houses and people in numbers that are not possible to count. It is the purification of the world because of sin as it plunges. Hatred and ambition cause the destructive war. That's what she saw and heard. She saw a chastisement. And she yeah. said hatred and ambition cause the destructive war. So she's seeing possibly a nuclear war, some kind of a total destruction of the world on a massive level because of um, poss probably nuclear warheads or modern day technology that we might not even know exists. But then she said, I felt the rapid beating of my heart and in my mind, the echo of a gentle voice saying, in time, one faith one baptism, one church, holy, Catholic, and apostolic, in eternity in heaven. She said, this word heaven filled my soul with peace and happiness so that almost without realizing it, I was repeating it for a long time. She said then she was able to write down the third secret. And the third secret shows an angel. She sees an, the children all three saw this on July 13th. Francisco too. They all three saw the vision. They saw an angel about to strike the earth with a flaming torch, and it looked as it could set the world on fire, and he was crying out penance, 
penance, penance. Then the Blessed Mother intercedes. She raises her right hand and they see the light going up and it stops the angel from striking the earth. Then they look down on the earth and they see the Pope followed by many bishops and priests and lay people of all walks of life going to a city half in ruins and half not in ruins. So it's half in ruins. And they're walking up a hill towards a, a cross and there the Pope is struck down by arrows and bullets followed by um, a number of the priests, clergy, and then the lay people being struck down. And then they saw angels picking up the blood of the martyrs and then sprinkling on the people who were still making their way to the cross. Well, we know that the 20th century, with the world wars and the 70 years of communist godless rule in, in Russia, the Nazi Germany, all the destruction of so many people, there were 68 million and possibly up to 100 million people that were martyred for the faith. I think the Russian Orthodox Church was almost completely wiped out in Russia. Um, the Catholics followed when they were trying to help the Jews. Many Jews lost their lives, martyrdom. You know, so we see the we see the the church going up to the cross and all the martyrs. They said it's more martyrs than all of the history of the church combined. Yeah. So they were seeing this, and and those martyrs of the 20th century, their blood is being sprinkled on us, who are still making our way to the cross. We're still trying to follow what Our Lady had asked us to do to avoid a chastisement of the world. The Fatima message is still unfolding. Lucia said it will take a long time for all the everything to come about to the triumph of the Immaculate Heart. And we don't know what that means yet, but it's a promise of some kind of peace. There's a constant message of unity in the church, unity between our Protestant brothers and sisters, between the East and the West, that the church breathe with two lungs again, you know, um, so there's just so much still going on, but we are being, we have been sprinkled with the blood of the martyrs of the 20th century. That's what's strengthening us, strengthening us now as we make our way to the cross and we should be thanking them. Didn't she say it was in the 1990s that we were in what, day three of the Fatima message? And the unfolding yeah, she of said it? We're, in, we're in day three of the week of Fatima, the post-consecration yeah. era. So she again confirmed that consecration was done, but we're still making our way. You know, when that consecration wasn't done until 1984, it was meant for 1929. And so we are living with the um, what Jesus had said, it will be done, but it will be done late. And in some cases, he says, too late. Russia will have already spread her error. So we're living through plan B here. We're living through the fact that Russia spread her errors. And so it's harder. We're on the harder path, but God has a plan. And he's calling, Mary's calling people to her immaculate heart, to be consecrated to her, to have this devotion to her because she's the way that's leading us right now. God has sent her to us for a special reason. She's not God. We don't worship her. She's the mother of heaven who's coming to help her children. And so for us to be open to letting her lead us and turn to her. She's only going to lead us to God. My Immaculate Heart will be your 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 uh, refuge and the way that will lead you to God. She's not going to lead us anywhere else but to God. And so to be trusting in her right now and letting realizing that she's working very hard and wants our participation right now. And it's important, she said also concerning this, she said, God does not punish man. It is man himself who with his 
intemperance causes punishments. You know, yeah. and that's that's a big thing for people to realize because you get people coming to you. Why is God doing this? God isn't doing anything. You know, He is allowing the consequences of our actions, our free will, to be the, the punishments that are occurring now in the world today. If man would turn yeah. their will towards God, you'd see a different you'd see a different type of world unfolding. Mm-hmm. And in this this new this new year, we really need to. Uh, Become cognizant of this, that it is one change at a time, one heart at a time. Uh, when you yeah. do as Our Lady asks, you are praying for one sinner at a time to come about to the conversion. So you're not, you're not out there wondering, I can't convert these millions of souls, but you can convert one. And somebody else can convert one. It's a one-on-one call for conversion. And, and Katie, I want to read a paragraph from the pathway where the sisters were probably with having spoken with Lucia so often understood what this meant. And they wrote, God created everything perfectly and entrusted everything to humanity with authority over all. But the hatred and ambition taking possession of the human heart reduces it to the worst form of slavery, detachment from God. And without God, everyone is capable of all atrocities and aberrances. Then, like a sorrowful mother who presents a wounded son to a surgeon for the saving scalpel, despite the painful procedure, so does God in his infinite love for humanity that is unable to hear his voice and is in danger, brings the grace of suffering so that mankind will reconsider his errant ways and be open to God's way able to love again. Isn't that what the path of humanity is on? We've lost the ability to love in the Garden of Eden. We are um, detaching ourselves from God. We don't need him. He doesn't help me. I hear that often from young people. He doesn't answer my prayers. He's not there. So this detachment is causing us to take on all forms of slavery. We're slaves to our own sins. We're slaves to so many of the cultural ways that are, are nobody's people aren't happy. There's a record record number of anxieties and depression and all this unhappiness and suicides are on the increase. So especially with the young people. Out. Yes. Especially with the young people. I mean, I don't remember being that up, up depressed and unhappy when I was a teenager. Yeah, I just wasn't sort of, to the level that it is. No, it's not the level it is today. Teen suicide is at a high rate. I don't know what yeah. it is, but I won't even make a, a a statement on it. But it is at a high rate. And why are these kids feeling this way? Because they're being raised, not going to church, having no faith. They're just they're being raised in a very godless society. And yeah, you know our hearts are forgotten. Yeah. Sorry, this is what John Paul warned about that we're building. We're building without reference to the Creator. He warned this in the 1990s. He talked about this flight from the transcendent grace of God, the Creator. We're trying to build our world without Him, and it's not working. It's it's very fragile. I mean, it could go up in a in, in a puff of smoke with one world leader willing to push that nuclear button. You know, one one little. Um, bomb could go off and it's just going to spark a firestorm on the earth where we could destroy ourselves. And we're, we're close to that. We've got the, the yeah. not talks of wars now. It is actual wars. 
wars in the Middle East, wars war in Ukraine. Just think about it. I mean, it's it's all around us and people out there. It, if you're saying, well, I already pray already. Well, then talk to somebody else about praying. You know, it's got to be yeah. like a, a domino effect. You've got to get other people praying and yeah. offering up and doing. They got to see you working in your daily life and you're happy and you're in what yeah. you do and what, what makes you happy. Well, I I pray. I talk to God. And maybe yeah. there are more people out there doing it than we realize, but we need a, a lot more doing it. And we need yeah. to get back to going back to one of the worst things of COVID-19 was people not going to church. And I think that's across the spectrum, whether you're Catholic, whether you're Orthodox, whether you're Christian, whether whatever you are, what faith. The fact that the churches were closed for so long, the only ones who came back are the ones who wanted to be there in the first place. The other yeah. ones coming because they felt like they had to, it they went so long without going. Now they don't see the need to go back. Yeah. So that was but that, that, that also had a crisis. Huge, that that lockdown for that many months had a huge crisis on the me- mental um, health of people because it really did impact. So you know, it, it it's impacted our workforce. People don't want to go back to work. They got used to just no. staying home and it really created this apathetic attitude towards everything. You know, there's a lot of boredom nowadays and people turn to alcohol because of course the liquor stores were open. So you could go get your liquor. Um, couldn't walk into a small restaurant and get something to eat, but you could <laughs> go get your liquor and you could go get a tattoo yeah. and you could go get an abortion. You could do all these things. I think even the strip joints were open that apparently the virus wasn't there. So it, it caused people to turn to a lot of vices to survive. They took away what we needed, which was God, and and people turned to the vices instead. It was really almost demonic what happened, and we're still trying to recover from that. Well, a lot of people have not recovered. There's just so much boredom and loneliness and depression, isolating the human heart from each other. Even young kids, they said, having to wear the masks. Um, young babies, they learn to read a face and... That that's how they they develop in their brain while they're seeing their parents with masks on and you know there was just a lot of problems with the whole thing and it's it was almost demonic what happened it just gripped the entire world but um, we can recover by turning our hearts back to God and inviting Him in and just God help me seek truth show me truth show me the way show me that you're there any small little prayer to help getting us back on the right path as the human human family that we are, and teaching us again how to love. Yeah, well, one of the most important things we've discussed in this show is I want everyone out there to realize it's not doom and gloom. There is the beauty of praying your rosary every day, consecrating yourself to the Immaculate Heart of Mary, wearing your brown scapular. You know, do what Our Lady asked at Fatima. Go to bluearmy.com. I hope I got the right one. Go to the page where if you have not made the pledge, make the make that offering, make that commitment to Our Lady. It's not under the pain of sin. It's just showing her that you want to change the world and you want to do what she asked. And that's yeah. the beauty of these apparitions that we just talked about, that word personal for Sister Lucia. And we've yeah. talked about him today to make people realize that maybe your New Year resolution could be, I'm going to live the Fatima message. Pray a five-decade rosary every day. Wear your brown scapular. Consecrate yourself to the Immaculate Heart of Mary, and then above all, do those five first Saturdays of reparation. 
which we don't even have time to touch on right now. So I want to thank Barb for being with me. And we always close my show with one Hail Mary. So please join me in the name of the Father, and of the Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. Christ is born, glorified. Have a very blessed and holy week and a blessed and holy new year. Thank you for listening. Mm-hmm.